Hey guys, Dustin Wynn, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Hey, this is Scott Snyder, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Paul Dini, listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. back to bat force radio the batman and dc podcast with no limits thanks for joining us again but realistically it's not as if most of us have much else going on uh we have got bat force tom in california hey hey and i'm robin cross in canada and beginning in 2015 and ending in 2016 i'll warn you i'm gonna take a deep breath right here because this is a long one uh in uh, 2015, 2016, the Dark Side War in the pages of Justice League was one of the highlights of the New 52 era. Seeking the information they need to stop the Anti-Monitor and Dark Side from destroying Earth uh, as they attempt to destroy each other, the League approaches Metron, hoping to use the infinite knowledge of his Mobius chair to find the solution. When Metron reveals that the chair does indeed have the information they seek, but he is not a, at liberty to divulge it, the League promptly removes his ass from the chair, and as they begin to discuss which of them is best suited to attempt taking his place, Batman is already plopping himself down on it. In what would become the headline of the entire arc, the chair reveals something world-changing to Batman as he tests the limits of its knowledge. We would later find out that the chair told him that three separate people had at times taken on the identity of his chief antagonist, the Joker. From there, we waited to find out when this revelation would be expanded upon, and soon enough, the announcement was made that Dark Side War creators Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok would bring us the story of the three Jokers. Fast forward to today, we have the release dates, we've seen the cover art, and even some preview pages, and joining us today to talk about what's coming, one of our absolute favorite artists, Jason Fabok. Hey. <laughs> Hey guys, that was a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's been so much time that uh, has passed since Dark Side War that I wanted to give a little bit of that background to listeners who m- maybe either didn't read it yet or don't remember it clearly. And uh, I didn't want to make you have to go through all of it. Yeah, it, sounded, it was really well written, too. I re- I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, hopefully it helped you remember what was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, sometimes I forget too. <laughs> but uh, yet you have been hard at work on this for, a, I, I don't even remember when you started working on it, but I, I can tell you because I can look up on our website that I've had this book on my pull list since July 20th, 2018. Wow. So you've been working on it, what, probably three years? I think it's almost two years that I even yeah. started it on now. Yeah. Because my daughter was my daughter was born. Yeah, she was born two years ago, uh, March. So it was it was a, it was shortly after or around the 
then that I started actually working on the book. And uh, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of <laughs> maybe we'll have to do once the books are out and everything, maybe we'll have to do a behind the scenes look at all the history of this because there's a lot of really cool, uh, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of roller coaster stuff when I came when it came to this book. And uh, I think um, <clears throat> we, you know, we 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 had talked about doing it even like further back than that. I mean, we hinted at it in three jokers and to tell you, to tell you the truth, originally, the original idea was right after uh, dark side, where we've done, we were going to do, we were going to continue on with justice league and the three joker storyline was actually going to be part of a justice league arc. But we that's when they kind of they were doing rebirth and they were switching to a bi-weekly schedule and both jeff and i didn't want to do a bi-weekly book and that was they it was pretty much like justice league's going to be bi-weekly you have no say and so we both i i kind of said i'm not interested in doing a bi-weekly so we both left book and uh, Jeff got really busy into the, the movie stuff and the television stuff and all that kind of world. And, um, you know, he was excited to explore that. And so we kind of put this story on the back burner and we were like, well, we'll come back to it eventually. And then it, and then it changed and, and he started to, you know, he would every I hadn't talked to him for almost like a year. And then all of a sudden he would call me and be like, Hey, I got a new, I got the idea. Here's the idea. It's, it's going to be more of a, it's not justice league at all. We realized that that was going to be, it wouldn't work. And then we just said, let's just focus this on a, as a classic Batman book in that classic prestige format. Like he kept on bringing up, um, killing joke, of course, Mm. That, that's kind of that's essentially what this book is like based upon really it's like we, we looked at he, he was you know he was doing doomsday clock and they were really basing everything sort of heavily around the watchman and how that book was structured and so we decided well let's look at killing joke and let's kind of structure our book that same way and uh and then there was other ones like batman the cult and books that we books that we sort of remembered as you know like batman events that weren't you know 12 issues long they were just like these prestige series kind of one shots almost mm -hmm. um, and we really got excited about that idea and i think even originally the book was just going to be one issue and then jeff's like well we got a joke let's do three issues you know <laughs> so i was like yeah that mm -hmm. makes sense so it kind of evolved from there, but uh, yeah, it's been a long time coming. But at the same time, like you know, we 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 went through different phases, and we like I we went through slow phases where I wasn't doing much drawing at all, and because I was waiting for script, and then we went through phases where it just all of a sudden went into rocket mode. I'd say really in the last year is when we really have really cranked down on this thing. Um, and I'm getting right near the end of drawing the final issue here, I'm at the, the final climax of the book. And so, um, 
<clears throat> we're in good we're in good shape and we'll probably like we're gonna have enough time this thing's gonna be done with enough time that we'll be able to go back and reread all three issues before the first one even hits the stands and we already know we're gonna go back to some of the panels here and there in issue one and maybe redraw them or change them because we've made a couple changes to the story like we're gonna have a real opportunity to um to really make this thing like flow like you as if you're reading one giant graphic novel that's something you don't you don't get that when you're doing a monthly book you're really just like you know like you're just like it's, it's like you're trying to cross a, a bridge and like a train track or something that they're still laying down the track as you're going yeah. you know like like this is different this is like we're almost going to have like an entire graphic novel and then break it up into three so and that's a, a preferred way uh like a, as a reader i would prefer for the things that i'm going to read to to be that way like i would be more comfortable knowing that the creators had that time and that ability to, when they got back to the end of the story, they had the ability to retrace their steps towards the beginning and, you know, alter things to, to suit the direction they had taken a little bit better. Yeah. I, I, I definitely prefer that. I mean, there, there, like there's been some slowdowns here and there where I was waiting for script and I've gone back and like redrawn pages and sequences in issue one that I had drawn like two years ago. It's been two years. So I've gone back and I'm like, yeah, I don't like that panel. I'm going to change it. Or, or I figured out a different way of telling that, that panel a little stronger. Or I don't really, I got like, I don't want, I want to tweak this face or change this. And so I've gone back and I've done that, but I've also found that at some point you just got to kind of let it go because uh, you'll drive yourself nuts. You know, I think that's the good thing about like a monthly book is you're just kind of charging ahead. You have no real time to think about it. So you just go with your gut feeling. And on something like this, I think sometimes I overthink it. Like, like a page I'm working on, I've been working on, like it's, it's been five days. I still haven't finished it. Like mm. not, and it's not because it's, it's super detailed or anything, but it's like, I'm trying to choreograph something that's really, really hard to choreograph. And I've changed the panels like a couple times. I'm, I've thrown them out. I've been, like eventually I was just like, I'm done. I'm, I'm quitting today, but I need to finish it to get onto the the next part because all of this informs what's going to happen on the next couple pages. And so I need to have it done. Like, I can't just move on. Uh, sometimes you'll just do that. You'll just like move on. You'll be like, oh, this is this page is giving me trouble. I'm gonna go to a different sequence and start that just to get some momentum back up. But uh, but like. The nice thing about this is because we have time, I'm able to do that. And so it's in the end, the, the page will will be exactly how I want it. And, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be fairly happy with it. And I'm never really truly happy with anything I draw. <laughs> uh, I'll well, be happy enough. <laughs> and uh, the, the nice thing about uh, having this timeline to do it and the way that you guys are working it had the, how issue one is not coming out before you've laid the groundwork for uh, for the other two issues. Uh, one thing that I, that you've told me when we've spoken in person has been that your goal for this series has always been that there would be no delays. It was going to be three issues, three months on time, no troubles with it. Yeah, that was really that was an important thing that we really wanted to do, and uh, you know, DC could have put issue one out months ago. You know, they could have they could have made it a, 
monthly book or something like that or try monthly book or <laughs> I don't know whatever but but we we were like no we, we want we want these books to come out you know um, come out monthly actually we had a different totally different plan I don't know if I should even say it it was a different plan and we actually got persuaded against it because it would have might have been too much um, well, I'll just <clears throat> I'll just say it. Uh, we were what we were originally wanted to do for the longest time was actually to have the book come out bi-weekly. So you get like two two issues in June and then one in July or two one one in June and two in July kind of thing, and make it like a really big event like one two three like you only have to wait two weeks between issues. But um, DC decided that the because it's you know, there's a whole bunch of things that go into that. And, and they, they talk to a lot of retailers and retailers are like, well, you know, that might be a little too much because it's a, you know, whatever it is, a five ninety nine book. That, that, you know. So it's a little, little bit more expensive than your normal kind of floppy issue. And so um, I think we made the right choice of making a monthly book instead of the, the a bi, bi-weekly book. Um, it would have been cool, but I think, at the same time, I think uh, this gives, well, it's going to give people a lot more time to complain about what happened in the issue <laughs> online. Like, that's the only thing, that's the one thing I said to Jeff. It's like, if it was coming up by weekly, you'd only have to listen to people complain for, you know, <laughs> two weeks and then we get to move on. But now it's going to be a month. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, it'll be it'll be exciting to see it come out. Like, well, hope, hopefully, hopefully this all Hopefully things are back up and running by June. Um, yeah. That's just the, the worrisome and sad part about everything going on right now. But um, I think <clears throat> I think once things get back going, it, you know, this book might be a nice um, this book might be a nice kind of uh, startup. You know, when when things get back, when stores are opened again, when comics are coming out, this this might be a this might come out right at the right time where. You know, uh, get people excited about collecting comics again, and, and, and so you know, maybe, maybe it'll be a little bit of a I don't know, a, a start of a new new era of comics, if you if you will, after yeah. post post COVID comics, right? So. Yeah, and it, it's a nice uh, light at the end of the tunnel to to look forward to this, like something exciting that we've all waited for, and. You know, hopefully, uh, like you said, just as we start to get back to life, this will be something exciting to bring people back out to the comic shops again. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We, you know, sadly we don't know what the future holds, but hopefully, hopefully by June can we be kind of starting up again. And if if not, then I think if not, then I know I we'll just hold it until until things are back up. I really want to make sure that. Um, we're going to be able to support the comic shops and, and this is something that can really will really bring a lot of people through the doors and we got some cool little extras we've been talking about and little special things that that we want to maybe throw into the package to make it a little bit more special to come out to the comic shop and pick, something, pick this book up but um, those are all things we're still kind of talking talking through and I know like right now everybody everybody at DC you know Things have kind of, um, I wouldn't say slowed down, but you know, the, the, no, nobody's in the office, so a lot of the communications are a little slower. And and uh, I'm sure this has derailed a lot of different plans. But 
again, you know, uh, we've got to go through all this, and hopefully we'll all come out on the other end and be really excited to to read some comics and support our our, our shops, and, and that's important. So yeah, absolutely, and uh, I I think. By that, even if this does uh, suffer some delays because of what we're in the middle of right now, I think by that time, most people will have acclimated to the fact that a lot of things are being pushed back because we're already seeing it. Uh, the new Last of Us video game is being, you know, pushed back indefinitely at this point. Uh, the Black Widow movie has been pushed back six months uh, for its release, so you know, we're we're seeing that it's uh affecting a lot of things and and it's understandable you know uh, mm -hmm. nothing that people have been uh working you know putting their blood sweat and tears into for years now uh, nobody wants that to come out at an inopportune time and you know, suffer because of it yeah and i and i like you said like this this whole this whole uh thing is it's nobody's fault i mean it's just it's a it's like a, it's a natural virus, right? I mean, nobody has control over this, and so it's it's. Um, I think I do think that once this all passes, there's going to be a lot of excitement uh, with people to get back out, to get back supporting their local stores, and I can really see there being a, a major. Uh, I almost can see there being maybe a, a major shift in people the way that people might shop. You know, I think that people maybe take for granted their local store and their local, um, you know, mom and pop stores and things like that. You know, we're so used to buying things off Amazon and online. And, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of people, they've, they've seen their communities go through a tough time with all this coronavirus stuff. And then I think you'll see them, you know, wanting to, to really reach out and support their, their local stores and, and uh, shop there and, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the day when everything opens and I can go, you know, blow some money on some different things. You know, just to support support uh, you know, local people who've been affected by this because it it affects everybody. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah but you know, we're, this like you said, hopefully this will be a, a nice light at the end of the tunnel for comic fans um, when things get back back up and running. And people are already going to be pretty excited to be able to get back out of their house again and, and go places, you know, get back to normalcy. And uh, that, that includes comic shops, you know, and having something uh, exciting that they've been looking forward to uh, being available at that time is going to be very cool. Mm -hmm. I agree. Now, you were talking a bit about uh, wanting to have some special things that are still uh, being worked on. Uh, that may cover what I wanted to ask you about here. Um, there's, there are solicitations you know, in Diamond uh, on their database. Uh, you can see where the issue is there for order with your two covers that have been released. And there is also just a blank solicitation for a 1 in 25 variant cover as well as a 1 in 100 variant cover. Uh, is any is that anything you can even talk about yet or is that still being worked on it's still being worked out i don't even know what those are going to be <laughs> <laughs> I, I was curious because i re i don't remember if it was the last time you were on the show or just sometime we were talking uh in person uh you had mentioned uh 
based on the book's lineage, its subject matter, that there was someone in particular you wanted to try to get involved on something, maybe like a variant cover. So I was sort of hoping for that. Yeah, we 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 actually did uh, reach out to a couple of different artists, but in the end, I think we decided that um, I'm just going to tackle all the covers for this. It's you know this. Um, I mean, things might change. I, I um, but uh, one of the artists that we wanted was was unavailable, so uh, we decided in the end we're I'll, I'll probably just do uh, do all the variants, or we might do something kind of. I don't know. We, it, we'll, right now, like we want to get issue redone, and then I'll probably focus on that and get those things done and uh, get those other covers done. But yeah, I, we're still we're still trying to figure it out. I didn't even know that they were going to solicit those extra things. Yeah. So that's so it's kind of like oh surprise! See, here you go. You got some more work. Like oh okay. So but uh, no, we'll we'll come up with something. It's it's. Uh, you know, we wanted we wanted a, diff, a kind of a look for the covers, like the way that they work together as like the characters, you know, big, bold in the face kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of it'll be interesting to see what we can come up with. I know I, I, I don't know what the one in one hundred cover will be. Maybe we'll do something extra different or special with that. I, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I, I have to. We kind of just put that on the back burner right now, and it's like let's just focus on figure finishing issue three, and then I'll have some time to dive into some extras. There's there's a whole bunch of different extras, extras that we want to do, so hopefully we'll get the time to do them. So I think people Very will be cool. really happy with some of the stuff we kind of figured out. Yeah, I was uh, I was I was talking about it earlier with some some friends, and um, they were asking about. Uh, they're casual comic readers, so they know Three Jokers coming. But like you were saying, all this anticipation of bringing a large quantity of, of readers to uh, a comic shop again, they've been asking me probably like at least once a month, has, has it come out yet? Has it come out yet? And I'm like, no, not yet. It will. And then um, it's funny because they're also kind of following like any big changes on like the main Batman title or storylines for other books. And they're like, dude, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And I was like, yeah, man. But None of it's going to matter after Three Jokers. Like, I guarantee you, like, Three Jokers is the only thing I care about. And it's honestly kind of been my attitude because there's, you know, like you were saying, uh, you're, you're kind of worried about the, the monthly gap in between issues where people are going to start complaining. Uh, there's so much of it right now with the Internet, just complaints about any little thing about a storyline. But what's so freeing to me is I haven't cared about any of it, knowing that Three Jokers is coming. And that's the only thing, like, I'm going to I'm really going to care about. So all these crazy, like, changes all these storylines and everything they're all the one big thing on the horizon is three jokers and uh, i don't mind because you know we've already waited a little bit a little bit more is not going to hurt anybody so knowing that you guys are working hard on it and putting like every little detail to make sure it all adds up in the end is just just kind of building the anticipation even more so what um what is one thing that i guess you really can't talk about it but is there anything that you know that uh you're like really worried about either backlash or you know something that's gonna really piss people off or um things that are just gonna drive people crazy is there anything like that that you're thinking of right now that you just can't wait for people to see yeah there's each issue has a real big kind of ending each issue has something that'll is a great cliffhanger like Je jeff johns is, is excellent at the cliffhanger he knows how to every issue i think he ever wrote has a great 
cliffhanger that'll lead you to the next issue. And, uh, and this does that. And I think the, you know, like, like I was mentioning before, we kind of written this thing like as if it's one giant graphic novel, really, you know, uh, but there are definitive, like kind of three breaks in the in each issue. And, um, you know, I think, I think when people read it as a whole, you know, they'll see where everything kind of, you know, leads and, and weaves into each other. Um, but th- those kinds of things are also like, you know, like you said, like things that'll make people angry or, or shot, like there's some shocking moments. It's, it's, uh, there are, there will be people angry with whether we do the, the thing that every fan wants to see or whether we do the thing that nobody expects. Somebody will be kind of angry or mad about it. You know, continuity people will probably be all over us. Uh, <laughs> we're really, you know, this this book, we right from the beginning, we set out to just tell a story that has a beginning, middle, and end. That you don't need, you know, like really, you only really... Like, if you've read Killing Joke, which most comic fans have because it's the highest-selling graphic novel of all time or whatever, um, you've read Killing Joke, and you know about some of the stuff that happened in Death of the Family. Um, Death in the Family, I guess, the, the classic one. Uh, uh, get the two. I always get their names mixed up. But... Um, as long as you know that, you know, about Jason Todd and how he was killed by the Joker and you know about uh, killing Joker and what happened there with Barbara Gordon and you have a, a basic understanding of the history of Batman, I think you'll, uh, you'll be able to just jump in with issue one. And I mean, we, we go through, we, we make it, we make sure that even if you haven't read those books, we kind of, you know, uh, fill in those, fill in those story points so that the reader can just pick it up you know we didn't want to do a book that was had to be a slave to the current batman continuity and in all honesty i mean we started this book two years ago and so things have changed drastically in the batman continuity and there that led to a lot of arguments and stuff but in the end we just said no we're just gonna we're just gonna stick with the story that we got to really believe in it and we're gonna go forward with it and we're going to uh tell the story that we want to tell and we believe that we have uh, believe that we have a book that's a classic in the make. We feel like we have something really special. We're doing some things that have never been done. The end of issue three is going to blow minds. Uh, you know, like, like Jeff kept on saying to me, Jeff said that like when we were working on Justice League, he kept on asking me, like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, let's do Batman. Let's do Batman. It's like, yeah, but it's like, Jay, like, it's like, what am I gonna do to Batman? Like, like Batman, everybody's had their hand in Batman, and unless I really feel like I have a story that is worthy to to do a Batman story on, and and something that's really, especially the Joker, something that's really gonna add to the to this character, and and not just be a, a retread of past things, and then you know a letdown of an ending, like. You know, he's like, I don't want to do it. And then all of a sudden he got this idea and when he pitched it to me, it's funny because I had the same, like, I had the same idea. I had the same idea in my head for, it was like, it was just like providence or whatever you'd call it. It was meant to be, you know, we, we had the same idea brewing in our heads and 
separate from each other. And then we were like, yeah, this is the story. Like, this is going to be the story. And, uh, you know, it, it's, we really feel like we're doing something that's going to be special. And some people will love it. Some people will hate it. Uh, but, you know, you can take it or leave it. That's what, you know, we've been saying for a while. Like, it's in continuity. But it's kind of not at the same time. It's its own thing. And if DC wants to run with it, which I, I believe, uh, I believe that they will with what we're kind of setting up at the end. But I don't know how, but they haven't really, uh, there's no, no real plan. I don't think right now, I think everything's just so much up in the air that they haven't really sat down and really taken it in. But, uh, but we have, we have an ending that's going to, yeah, it sets up so many cool things that so, it'll be interesting it, it might be a situation where the public reception may determine uh if dc runs with it as being continuity or not yeah okay so maybe this this hypes up the book a little bit it might also make what dc sound a little bad too but i don't know <laughs> but i think dc's been scared of this story because we're we're honestly doing stuff that goes outside of the box, and uh, we're doing some stuff in this book that I think I think these like if we were doing this on the Batman Monthly, they probably would never allow us to do. <laughs> but, be, but because we're doing these things in a in a black label book, uh, they're okay with it. I think it's the same thing. They're kind of going to wait and see if it. If it resonates, and if it does, then maybe they'll borrow some pieces from it. It's kind of, we, we've always looked at it kind of like Killing Joke. It's like Killing Joke, you can take it as like its own thing. You know, even today, you can read it as its own piece of, of you know, Batman. And, and that book became such a massive seller that, you know, people just kind of took those ideas and, and, were, and went with them after, you know. Um, maybe if that book wasn't, um, people responded badly to it, they probably would have said, okay, well, that's just an Elseworld story and Barbara Gordon is okay, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, so it's the same kind of thing. Like, con- continuity is continuity is, is good and it's, it's got its place, but I personally feel from a storytelling perspective that it, it makes you a slave. Half that, like you can't, you can't, you can't dare to do different things. Like you can't. Like I've been, you know, I've worked on books where you know, we couldn't do things because of oh well that that goes against what we're doing over here. And it's like well, but this would be a really cool story beat, you know, or a plot point. No, no, we can't do that because this affects this, this, and this, and this, and this. You know, uh, the the fun thing about working with Jeff Johns is that. When he says, I want to do this, they pretty much say yes. <laughs> you know, like, go for it. You know, he's, he's got a lot of sway. And so uh, it's kind of freeing to be in that position where we could just tell the story that we always wanted to tell. And if people like it, that's great. If people hate it, okay, I'll, you know, I'll still love it, you know, whether or not people like it or love it or whatever. I think people will, will like it. You know, I think they'll, they really will. Um, I feel like. I feel like this story is really a love letter to the history of Batman and the Joker. And 
Jeff know like Jeff has that ability to kind of see comics from the eyes of a 14 year old fan, you know, like from a 14 year old reader perspective. And it's like, you know, he, he can look at you can look at a character and look at a story and say, well, if I was 14 years old, what would I want to see, you know, Superman do? What would I want to see Green Lantern do? What would I, you know, like one of the things I always loved was when he had Batman put on the Green Lantern ring, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like, that's something that, that, you know, as a 14 year old kid, you would probably be talking to your buddies and be like, wouldn't it be cool if Batman got a Green Lantern ring? What would that look like? Yeah. You know? So he does that. Same with like the, the whole thing with Batman getting on the Mobius the, chair. The Mobius chair. It's kind of like it's kind of like what? You know, it was, <laughs> yeah, and it was kind of like a little like poke almost at like the whole Bat God kind of thing, right? Like yeah, it was like yeah. a little. It's like a joke in a way, and it was also like a hey, you know, what if you know what would it be like if Batman got on the chair? You know, that's really cool. So, and what happened was what happened when, when he got on the chair was one he knew everything and two he was even more of a dick yeah <laughs> exactly so you know he he's able to do that we when we went through we have a we had a list of like what are cool things we really wanted to see between batman and the joker and so you know we, we've really gotten into that and uh, it, it makes for a really fun it's going to be a really fun story but it's also a very deep story um, I don't know if you want to get into a little bit of like the sales pitch behind the book, but um, please no, no. We we have we've been talking about when we've been doing interviews. We've been talking a lot about the fact that this book has it's actually a, a deeper emotional story. Um, one of the main themes of the book are the scars, scars on both mental and physical. And, you know, you know, we picked the characters that we're working with in this book because they have uh, scars, both mental and physical, that the Joker has left behind. You know, we have Batman and all the battles and fights that he's had with Joker over the years. We have uh, Barbara Gordon, who was affected majorly by uh, Joker and Killing Joke, uh, being paralyzed. And, like, what, you know, what does that do to somebody? What does that do to a, do to a character? And, and then and Jason Todd and, and what the Joker did to him and we're kind of exploring like how Jeff, Jeff says it's like how you heal right and how you heal wrong how, how can tragedy how does tragedy affect us how does it you know for some people tragedy can be the thing that uh, propels them on to be a greater person it can it can bring focus to their life. It can give them something to to overcome, and, and they become stronger because of it. And then others, you know, like a Jason Todd, a Red Hood figure. It's like he tragedy it boils under his it boils in his soul, and it's like you know he 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 uses that tragedy in different ways that Barbara Gordon or Batman would use tragedy. So. Um, we're exploring that in this story and you know uh it's it really is an emotional story and there's things in there that there's things in this book that um you know I think people will be surprised at and how we approach different things and uh these themes these themes kind of go right through the book from front to back um, one of the things i've really learned with jeff is that you know it's 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 really cool to have awesome visuals and 
plot and all that kind of stuff. But he really has hammered home the fact that unless you have you know, a, a, a deep emotional hook in your story that hooks the reader, um, then you'll have a hollow story. And, you, you, and, and ever since he's kind of said that, every movie and every book that I read, I ask myself that question. What is the emotional hook? What is the thing that, that connects us, the audience, to the characters? And so we really feel like we have a really great emotional hook. We, we, we have these characters displaying emotions and displaying feelings and things that you've never seen them do. And, uh, you know, not all of these characters have a, have a, an arc through this story. And it's been a lot of fun to get into their minds and, and explore these characters. Like, you know, I, I love Batman, uh, Batgirl. I, I've always, I've never read any of her books, but I've always kind of liked the character, I think, because of the fact that she was on the animated series when I was a kid. So I had a little bit of a connection to Batgirl, but it's it's not something that I ever really dug into as a character. I didn't really care for, care to ever read a Batgirl comic. Uh, but through this, learning about her, really getting into her mind and into her character, um, you know, I've I've really come to love this character and I love what she stands for. And she's really uh, the heart of, of this book in so many ways. And then same with Jason Todd, Red Hood. I always found him to be kind of lame. Like I, I, I never cared for Jason Todd or for Red Hood. I always sat there thinking like, why is this like, you know, I don't know. He's just this angsty guy who shoots everybody. And why is he even wearing a Batman logo on his chest? Like, like, you know, I don't know. I, I never really cared for him. And, but then through this, as, as Jeff kind of explained to me his view of the character and where we were going to go with him. And, and, um, <clears throat> again, that those, those emotional scars that are on him and so that how that informs his thinking. Again, I just, I really fell in love with this character. And one of Jeff's strengths, I think, is taking those B and C list characters, sometimes even D list characters. And making you love them, you know. He, if you notice in a lot of the stories, like Blackest Night, the main characters in that book wasn't Green Lantern, it was the Flash and the Atom and Mira. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like three kind of like, you know, Flash is arguably a, a maybe an A or a B list character. And then you got like Mira, you know, I didn't even know about this character. <laughs> And the Adam, he's probably like a C or a D list character too. But by the end of that, you like you became fans of those characters. You're like, man, these characters are awesome. I I love them. And uh, he has an ability to do that with these with these characters that are kind of lesser characters. You know, he knows how to he knows how to raise them up to the status of like an A level character within the story. And uh, it's it's really exciting to see that, especially to put, to, to draw that too. Because um, you, while you're drawing it, you're thinking, yes, this is going to be somebody's first introduction to this character. And maybe this will help them fall in love with this character from here on out. It's, it's really cool. Uh, what you're uh, getting me sort of interested in here as you're talking about things that are maybe going to change continuity-wise with characters is the opportunity for that to affect the the mainline continuity. If you look at something like we've talked so much about Killing Joke 
And so, you know, the obviously the big scene there is uh, what Joker does to Barbara. And it was after Killing Joke had come and gone, it was John Ostrander in his Suicide Squad run who had picked up that ball and ran with the Oracle thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was where Oracle first comes in. You know, the, the her first actual appearance, you don't even see her. It's a voice coming through a speaker saying this is Oracle. And then you sort of get uh, drip-fed little clues as time goes on about who it is. So he had taken what happened with a major character in Killing Joke and... You know, I, I think it I don't think it was ever really clear before that if Killing Joke was even in continuity because you had so many ambiguous things like people argued for a long time on you know what the ending meant uh, you know if Batman had killed Joker at the end so it wasn't until uh, John Ostrander started this whole oracle thing that uh, the story was accepted as being, oh, you know, yes, clearly this is continuity because we now have Barbara in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it could present a, a cool opportunity, you know, if if people, if other creators really identify with the things that, uh, with you know, potentially earth-shattering things that you guys are doing in Three Jokers, we could see that have an effect uh, ripple out into the main continuity. Yeah, and I we kind of we there are going to be some of those things in there so uh yeah again i don't you never know like people might really they might really like it and they might want to run with some of those ideas or expand on them they might not but uh we're we're really proud of our story really it does have a beginning middle and an end there's we don't leave too many things up to ambiguity we do we do put a definitive ending on all the all of these things but you know i can see people taking it and kind of expanding on it and that's cool like we that's kind of what we want right? we kind of want that um, to happen so yeah it'll be it'll be exciting i'm, I'm excited to hear people's opinions uh, my, my biggest fear is that people because it's taken us so long people will like, be expecting like the greatest Batman story ever told. And then if we don't hit that, then it's going to be a flop in their minds. Like I don't like, it's still a, it's still, it's just a story and it's, it's tried to try to do some really cool things in it and expand on the mythology and whatnot. But uh, yeah, we just want you to pick it up and read it and enjoy it you know, and have a good time with it. It'll be a, it's a dense read and hopefully it'll take you a little way while to get through it and, it's not going to take you 15 minutes to read it, you know, kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited. I, I'm confident in this thing. I've been confident since day one, and I've been, I've been really, uh, I've been really sounding the horn at DC, like, listen, like, this is something really special that we got here. I, you know, I don't want to sound too overconfident in my skills, but I really feel like we got something special, you know, mm. but get behind us, really help us push this thing, help us to make this thing really special because I think it's something that the fans have been wanting. I think it's something that fans, I don't know, I think fans deserve great stories. If you really feel like you want to tell quality over quantity or something like this and, and into the future as well. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited. I'm happy that it's finally getting 
I think it's a good time for a book to come out that does daring things with characters and changes the status quo because uh, I think this uh, this is a time maybe more so than any other that people have become a little more acclimated and a little more accepting uh, to changes. I don't know how much of uh, other current books you've had time to keep up with lately. Uh, but uh, just a couple weeks ago, we had Sean Murphy back on the show to talk about the end of his Curse of the White Knight series. And he had done something very major in that story that he was similarly worried how angry people might be. Uh, so he had... Uh, this story goes back through the history of Gotham and the history of the Waynes when Gotham was being formed. And, uh, you know, it goes back to the, the first families who were forming uh, the city, who were founding Gotham. And what you find out towards the end of the story is Bruce was always lied to. Well, his, his family was basically a lie from the beginning. Uh, his actual ancestors had murdered Edmund Wayne, who was, you know, sort of the first Wayne in Gotham, uh, had murdered Edmund Wayne, took his, his name, his identity, his fortune, and built Gotham with that. So you have Bruce finding out that he was never really a Wayne. And, you know, that shakes him up. But then by the end of the story, he's learning, it doesn't matter what my name is. What matters is that you Batman is the protector of Gotham. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there was a, a sort of an expectation that, you know, people might react badly to this, but I really don't recall seeing uh, much in the way of complaining about it. It was sort of, you know, there was the shock of it, but I didn't see people react uh, very poorly to it. So that's, that's uh, hopeful. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> well, you know, maybe if that was like the main continuity Batman, maybe people would have yeah. been a little more up in arms, you know, about it or whatever. But I think if people are when they're reading, you know, like, um, you know, reading black label books or an Elseworld kind of tale, I think you're open to those things. In fact, I think you almost expect there to be some different takes on it because it makes it a little bit more exciting, right? It makes it like you're rediscovering a version of this character that you think you know, but you know, here's some really interesting and cool twists to it. I, you know, I, I like that when I'm reading a sort of a, you know, an out of continuity take on a character, you know, uh, I, I dig that. Uh, we, we, to be honest with you, like we, we always meant this book to be, we always meant this book to be the status quo and the continuity. Um, and then things just got like, you know, because we were taking so long to do it, um, I think DC just kind of decided to kind of move on without us. And I think, I believe that that's a mistake. I think we have like, we really have some cool things here. We take, we're taking some chances. And I think, I believe that you need to take some chances with characters. And I think that you need to shake things up. Uh, you know, when things are good, I think, you know, when good things happen to characters, I think that's cool. It doesn't always have to be bad things that happen to characters to shake them up either, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you can do some good, like, it's good when a hero actually does something good and is rewarded for it, too. You know, so many times we expect 
you know, just like the worst of the worst to happen to these these characters. You know, like I I don't like I don't like reading a Superman story where awful things happen. Like I, I like good things to happen to Superman because he's a good person, he's a good guy, right? Like, um, but um, I think you're I I I think you're right. I think I do think that we on purpose have done some things in these in these issues to really to rile rile up fans. You know, it's kind of like I don't know if it's it's kind of, it is kind of fun to see reactions to things because people they're reacting to things before they've read the whole story, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of fun to put in little things that get them going because you know that when they read the finale or whatever, you know, you know where you're going with it, right? And so you know in the end, you know, everything will be okay or or you know you'll really set the record straight but uh, uh it's kind of fun to to do those little things and uh, you got a couple you got a couple good ones in these books mm-hmm. like that um but also it's like it, we want it to be a journey we want it to be an adventure we want it to to really impact you as a reader and um i love that i love those kinds of comics like uh and I miss those kinds of comments. To be totally honest with you, I miss them. I, I I don't know if it's because I've been working in the industry for so long now. It's been over ten, I think it's well, ten years actually. Around this time is when I really started, and I've just found that my reading of comics has kind of taken a it's really slowed down. I find I'm reading things outside of the superhero genre when it comes to comics. Like I haven't really paid too much attention to what's going on in the main Batman books or or any books really, uh, to be honest with you. Um, and I feel I feel like <clears throat> I feel like um, this book here is more akin to what I want to be seeing in comics. I feel like Three Jokers is like this this is like our statement of like this is what we want to see in comics like this is what writers should be striving for and how they're writing and how they're telling the story like the i i read i love like the last you know doomsday clock was a book that i was really i loved every issue of it and i couldn't wait to get it and i couldn't wait to read it and actually like jeff would send me the the completed PDFs like weeks before the book would come out. So I get a chance to read, read this book, but then I would go to the store. I'd still order three copies of it. One, mm-hmm. one for reference and then two for <laughs> to put away, yeah. um, uh, you know, to collect kind of thing. So like doomsday clock, I felt really had a lot of that in it, and I loved the ending of it. And I felt it, uh, it was just, I felt like doomsday clock is kind of what it's like what comics, should be striving to be it's like incredible beautiful rendered art and a deep story that really touches on some emotional things and so in the heart of you know what it means to be a superhero and, and all those kind of things and so uh, jeff's bringing that to this book as well it's a dense book there's lots you know it, it's <clears throat> jeff's really kind of turned on his alan moore key in his brain and it's like mm-hmm. He's really like he was telling me like how when he's writing dialogue in Three Jokers, he says it takes him like taking him days just to write like the dialogue for like one page because he's like really thinking about 
everything that's being said and how it's being said and what the implications of that are. Is is there a better way to say this to get more emotion out of what this character is saying? And and you know, there's there's a couple scenes here that really like he really captured he could almost hear these characters speaking in lines like like you would when you read like an Alan Moore comic. And so that gets me excited. It's like that's what I've been striving to get to in my career ever since I started. Like I want to do these kinds of comics. Things that books that when you read them they leave you emotionally changed. They they change your perspective on things. They change your um, they affect your perspective on the character, but also that they're they're fun and, and they're exciting and they give you that excitement that you had when you read a comic when you were 14, you know, like I want to chase that feeling. I, I, I try to remember like, what was that feeling like when I read, you know, Batman Hush or Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen, or, you know, the first time I read Hellboy and Hellboy is one of my favorite comics. It's like the first time I read that, it just captured me. And I want, I'm trying to, I hope, hopefully I'm putting some of that excitement in the pages that I'm drawing. And people will see that and, and they'll respond to it. Uh, you know, this book's a little different than anything I've drawn, like when it comes to the artwork. Um, <clears throat> I, it's not a four panel widescreen, you know, kind of book that I, I really like to draw before. This is a, this is kind of continues in the, like I was saying, like in Killing Joke, there's a lot of nine panel panel pages and six panel squared grids and, and uh, very little that I don't think there's any splash pages and we're kind of following that with this there's a lot of nine panel pages like it takes me two or three days to draw a page normally with a nine panel grid because you've got to <clears throat> you really have to know what you're doing uh, storytelling wise and you really have to be able to make the eye flow through the panel but Man, when it when it does work and it does flow, like it just it just feels so good to read it. And um, <clears throat> Jeff's got a lot of dialogue, and it feels like reading an older comic. And I, I think that that's something that's something that um, I feel that's something that needs to be maybe embraced a little more. Looking back into the past and what made what made some of those old con comics so iconic and beloved. Uh, you know, and then take that and kind of use that in our modern books to, to, to bring, to, to take them up to a different level as well. Well, we've, we've already seen that, uh, you can definitely, uh, do good storytelling with the, the nine panel grid stuff. Uh, the issues you did with Tom on Batman, uh, the button issues, you got to do the nine panel, uh, grid stuff there and that worked very well. Yeah, I, it's funny because I I used to hate that when I when I was when I first was kind of getting into comics like I wanted I kind of came into comics um, going with uh, the mindset of uh, Tim Sale who uh, really pushed I know in like his Daredevil Yellow series and in some of some of his Batman stuff but it was more or less those Marvel color series ones that he did. He, yeah. he mentions in one of the books there in the foreword that he really pushed Jeff Loeb to stick to a three panel layout. He, he really wanted to draw big art. And 
that's how I came into comics thinking. I was like, yeah, like this is art. It's an art form. Like I want big, huge panels and lot like big characters on the page and you know every page like every the panel should all look like splash pages and it should just be like big 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 and then once i did and 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 so like when i would read old books like watchmen i just found like i don't know if it's because i had no attention span as a young person but like i found like oh, all these nine panel page, these grids like so much reading and but then in the end, like you felt like you read like, you know, it's a 12 issue series Watchmen, but you felt like you read like a 30 issue series of normal comics because it was like you couldn't, it's a, you know, whatever it is, like a 20, I don't know if they're 22, 24 page issues, but it's like, it feels like you read like a 45 page issue. And when I did that issue with Tom with the nine panel grids, everything started to click. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, like, you can tell so much more story with this and you can really make this thing feel dense and feel um, like it's worth your time. Like I, now when I read a comic book and I can skim through the thing and read it in 10 minutes because there's very little words and it's all just big pictures, I feel cheated. I feel like, why did I, like, this is not worth my, Two ninety, three ninety nine Canadian, whatever it is. I, Robin, you know how much comics are nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it's like I, I I there's a time in the there's a time and place for those kind of comics. But when it comes to stuff like this, you really felt like you wanted like this. These books are forty eight page issues, but I think they'll feel like they're all sixty page issues. Like there's a lot of storytelling and. And and with the nine panel grids too, another thing you can do is you can tell a wordless story, uh, and they can be much deeper because you got if you have nine panels on a page, like the first, like that preview uh, page there where that we showed with the Batmobile crashing through the gravestones, yeah. like that's going to be a wordless page. Uh, I was wondering about that. We were actually just before uh, we added you on. Uh, we were going over what happens in those three pages yeah. that were released. And uh, I was wondering like the, these look like they could be uh, textless pages because yeah, the first one is first the shot of, of the tombstone and then the Batmobile crashing through it. And then you have Batman getting out and he's bloody and he comes into the cave and Alfred helps him in and then starts cutting the suit off him. And all of this looks like it could be just uh, visual storytelling. Yeah, in fact, I think uh, I think most of those opening pages are going to be visual storytelling um, with very minimal minimal words until the story kind of starts picking up. And that's something that Jeff that like those pages were things that Jeff pitched to me right from day one, and they were. You stuck right to them and uh you can do that you can you can take pauses you can take little breaks with a nine panel grid and you don't feel like you're you're wasting a panel having wordless storytelling but at the same time like as an artist you can really lead the eye from one panel to the next to the next and and you know guide guide the, the viewer through it and in fact the, the longer that they stay like the, the opening pages of uh, Killing Joke are 
important to us as well. Uh, it, it isn't until he goes into that room and grabs the chair and then it says, uh, I forget what it says there, but he, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, some words just kind of written in the black of the, of the room. And, um, <clears throat> that's when the, that's when the words start kind of like this, the narration starts going and the, the talking. And so we kind of wanted to follow that same thing. And, uh, uh, but you can do that. You don't feel like you're wasting, you don't feel like you're wasting a page. And like when you got a 22 page comic, you want to do a wordless page. Uh, you feel like you're like wasting space, like because you need to get a lot of story in those 22 pages. So you can, you know, but uh, it's a it's a different kind of storytelling. I don't know if I necessarily will want to do it all the time, but it's got it's got a lot more pros than I think it does cons. And I think if you could, I think from here on out, like I know Jeff and I have talked about this, like future projects that we do together, we're gonna probably stick to this kind of layout, like. Use some nine, use a bunch of nine panel grids, but maybe we'll we'll go to some more splash pages and two page spreads and things like that. Uh, we don't have many of them in this in these books, and we did that on purpose. But um, I, I just I don't know. I really have fallen in love with that storytelling structure, and it's ter like you know from an artist perspective. So here's a little art thing about that: when you're drawing a widescreen panel. When you have a panel that is horizontal, your rule of thirds is broken up very cleanly in that panel. So you know exactly where to put, uh, if you want a character in the foreground, you'd stick them on one of the thirds, third section of that, that panel, and then you'd put your other character in the far third and you'd leave the middle third blank. You know, you wouldn't want to put a character in there. And you got this really great rule of thirds thing going on in, in widescreen panels. It's so easy to lay out a book in horizontal widescreen panels with you following the rule of thirds with this good artistry. It's, it's used in film. It's so easy to be used in film because of the fact that it's, uh, everything is shot in a, in a horizontal, uh, film, uh, call it, uh, film gate. But uh, when you're doing a nine-panel grid, all of your panels on that page are now vertical panels. They're actually like, so now you're employing the skills that you use to draw a cover, where your rule of thirds is now is actually now broken up uh, vertically. So the top, you have your top third of your page, your middle third, and then your bottom third. That's in each panel, and it becomes it becomes a lot harder to lay things out. Uh, you really have to, it, it's like, there's so many times where I'm like, I wish I just had an extra inch on the side of the stinking panel so I could really, you know, show action differently or, or have this pose flow better. Like you have to really think differently. Like how do I get, I need this character doing a wide, a wide pose with his arm flinging out or something, or he's punching or whatever. You know, now it has to move more, instead of it going horizontally across the page, it's got to almost come uh, into the foreground more. Um, and so you you have to kind of change, you really fight against a lot of your instincts as an artist when you're doing these nine-panel grids. And uh, you have to think differently about how you're actually drawing the work. And I've had Watchmen and I've had Killing Joke right next to my desk here. 
And I've been flipping, I flipped through those a lot thinking like, well, how did, how did Dave Gibbons approach like a scene like this where I need these characters in this room? Like how, how would he do it? Cause he does it flawlessly through Watchmen. With his nine panel like every page is a nine panel grid. And so, um, it, it does, it takes a different, it's a different kind of skill and, uh, really, I think that's also why this book has taken so long because it just made me, I had to kind of like relearn how to draw a comic. You know, it's, it's just, it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of way of drawing a comic. Like your gut instinct is to do everything in big widescreen panels. And then now you're, you're limited to this very, this horizontal, it almost feels claustrophobic at some points in the way that the layups are but, but once you hit it once you get it and you have a really good flow going through the pages then you start to see like wow this is almost like animation you're almost seeing like, like a film coming to life in front of you with these characters making subtle movements and moving across those panels yeah yeah, I, I, the, the word I was going to use was cinematic because you sort of with the when it's nine panels rather than, you know, uh, a two panel or a three panel page where you just see, OK, the character's here. Now he's here. Now he's over here. You can see those individual movements panel by panel. And it's almost like watching. It's, it's like you're seeing a film strip and you're seeing it more frame by frame uh, of what's happening. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this book where there's there's sequences and scenes where there's you know multiple characters in the background of a scene. So I tried if you if you read Killing Joke, there's a scene where he there's a couple scenes where Joker before he Joker uh, he's sitting in like a bar. It looks like it's like a bar down at the docks or something like that. And there's all these characters in that room. And if you really pay attention to the, what's happening in the background, you're seeing like little movements of characters doing things. There's a guy throwing up on the bar. And then there's a guy hitting on somebody. Like, I don't know. There's like different things that are actually happening. And he drew those characters each time he had to show all, like each time he had to have a wide angle shot, he's showing those characters moving about and doing different things. And that takes so much time. And um, I, I got a chance to do that on a couple of these pages, especially in issue one. It, and, it seems uh, worth that extra time because it gives more life to the world that the character is inhabiting. Exactly. And, and yeah, it, slow, it slows you down. <laughs> You're taking three or four days to drop page. Like That's like a whole week for one page. Yeah. But, but in the end, I think I'm hoping it'll be worth it. Like, I hope people will, when they read it, I kind of hope they won't even notice it. They'll just kind of read the book and they'll just kind of get drawn in by it. And then maybe, you know, when they take a second look at it or look at the art, they'll start to notice, like, oh, that's kind of neat. Like, kind of broadcast that that character moves from here to here. And then now when we cut to this other panel, you know, that the character's now you know, attacking Batman or whatever, like, you know, moving in and out of the scenes, moving to the background. Um, I love that kind of stuff. I love those little attention to details. And, uh, you know, you kind of want, you, you want them to be subtle. You just want people to kind of subconsciously, when they look at the panel, see all these different things and kind of follow the flow of the page. Uh, yeah, it's, 
again, I'm interested to see how people will react to everything in a film. There's another another thing like we can uh, talk about here is I put in so many little Easter eggs and little like winks and nods to classic Batman history. Like I, I really want to reward those people like like you guys who know everything about Batman. <laughs> you know, like I really want to reward you. There are things in this book that even go back to like the 66 TV show mm-hmm. and um, and to the original Batman issue one and you know like it's 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 you know I'm I'm excited like some people will will see like like I'm looking at a page right now I'm not gonna say what's on it but uh, like there's there's these characters and like I'm wondering if people will pick up on who they are who they are. And, and nice. it's like I think a, a casual reader will just read it and look at it and go, "Oh, okay, that's cool." But somebody who really know like knows their Batman will go, "No way! Like what? Like that? That's nuts!" Like you know, they'll they'll really they'll I think they'll appreciate those little things. Like I'm a I'm a Batman fan like through too. So, uh, but well, like for instance, like in these preview pages here. Uh, the Batmobile that you see smashing through the the grave stone is the Bat Batmobile, the Boland Batmobile from Going Joke. Um, it, it's kind of it's kind of a little bit of that fused with the, the Batman '89, but you can see on the the last panel as Batman's walking towards the house, like you can see the 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 little Batman, uh, what do you call it, like the Batman shield on the. Front of it, so yeah. I, I I took my I took like direct um, uh, inspiration from that. The gravestones are actually I believe gravestones that Tim Sale drew in one of his Batman uh, Long Halloween books. I, I oh, yeah. it's so it's so long since I drawn this, but I I do know that I was looking at his his gravestones for reference. But I I may have taken some liberties and changed them a little bit too. And then, and then the next page, you're seeing the inside the bat cave now. Like yeah. The 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 fourth panel there is a is a is a homage to one of the panels from Killing Joke, where it shows the bat the bat cave. I cut the T Rex out of that the, this shot um, because you see it in the other shots. Yeah. Uh, with uh, with the eight ball. Yeah, and well, in panel five, where it's showing like the Batman costumes inside the the, the tomb things there, like like uh, that the Batman costume there is the Golan costume from the reissue Killing Joke. He actually changes the logo on that on his costume in that issue. Uh, yeah. He cuts out the he cut out the 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 yellow oval, and he just has like the Batman logo. And so I, I had that there as a little wink to him. And then there's a the pair of dice up in the top corner too. And Jeff was like, you've got to put the dice in somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember there being giant dice. Like, okay. So I put that in there and then, you know, and then you have this sequence here where he's coming down through this, like back, this like museum. And that is from an image, I believe drawn by Bob Kane. I'll look it up right now. Jeff had it in the script. Bob Kane Bat. Uh, I don't know, maybe it wasn't Bob. 
while you're looking uh, for it, one of the things that I noticed where he has that hall of the villain stuff, you know, you see uh, Riddler, Two-Face, Catwoman, Bane, you know, those, uh, they look like sort of statues with their costumes on. Uh, There's the Joker monument there, and there's the gun, there's the laughing fish, the flower, the chattering teeth. And the one thing that I noticed is that there are three Joker cards in there, and they're all different Jokers. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a subtle little thing, right? Like I actually, those are actual three cards that have been used in the history of the Joker. Like I looked them up. I looked up like what what are the what are some Joker cards that have been used in the past? And those were three different ones that have been used in past issues throughout time. I can't, I couldn't tell you who drew which ones, but uh, but that. So I just found it's not it's not Bob Kane who drew it. It was uh, Dick Sprang. Oh, drew cool. this awesome two-page spread back in like I think it was in the uh, it says well it says here 1955 but it's the Batcave and Jeff sent me this image he's like this is what I want the Batcave to look like in its layout but I want it to be a little more updated like what if it like what if Batman has updated this Batcave to now and so that hall of the museum hall is actually like direct from that Dick Spring image. I changed up a little bit. I He's got it like, he's got the little compartments that are carved out of rock, but I made them out of like metal or whatever. Kind of, again, everything, like everything, the metal parts are actually a wink towards Batman 89 and, and that vault thing that he had with the bat, the bat suit was inside. So there's that. And the, but the T-Rex is in the spot. I changed the eight ball. I brought that over there. Uh, and originally, I'd actually there was going to be a bigger shot of the entire backcase, but then we moved it. Um, that was going to be laid out exactly like this two-page spread that Dick Spring did. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, you know, little, we did little. I want we really wanted to do little hints like that, and um, really, there's lots of them throughout this entire book, all three issues. There's lots of little hints to Batman's past and history. And, and same with Batgirl and Red Hood and um, you know it, it's I love doing little things like that and hopefully when this maybe when this book comes out it'd be fun to maybe do an episode on your show where we go through every page and I just kind of point out the little Easter eggs and like what does this number here mean and like because I put a lot of that stuff throughout this book I really thought about everything that I put down on the pages you know, uh, that would be sick. Yeah, we would be totally down for that. Uh, the, <laughs> the first time that you were talking about three Jokers on the show here, uh, you had uh, mentioned uh, coming on as each issue comes out, and uh, we're still completely on board for that. Yeah, that that'll be that would be fun too, especially since if we got a month between issues, maybe we'll like we can give it like two weeks after each book comes out, and then we'll do it. Or do one like right before the next issue comes out, and we'll there you go. kind of go through it and try not to be too spoilery about what's coming after, but just kind of explain, go through some of those things, answer some questions. And yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun to do. Um, I put so, like I said, I put so much little like work into so many little hints, and like I'm, I'm hoping people pick them up. I hope they recognize, like, oh, that's a like he's kind of doing the same thing that was done in this panel from this issue of Batman, you know, uh, there's like, like literal, like, like 
there's like I've tried to homage like different panels from Batman's history too, and, and Killing Joke especially. There's a lot of homage panels where I literally like um, redrawn uh, images, but like but like maybe with like different characters, like. But I've done it. I've laid out those panels in a way that if you read Killing Joke, you'll be like, "Oh wait, that like he's hinting to something from that book, you know, like uh, or Death in the Family, or some of these, or even like we go, like I said, we, we touch on like stuff from Batman Number One in forty or whatever it was. So uh, there's lots of little special things, and even with the colors, like I really Brad Anderson, I really talked to him about like I want. I want you to do this with the colors here because it means it means this. So I want I want to kind of I want to evoke this or I want to evoke that and I want you know I want the fans to when they see this to remember this you know because it was colored this way um, and I, and he really does like kind of how he did with in if you read Doomsday Clock. There's whenever there's scenes that involve the Watchmen characters, he kind of reverts back to the brown and yellow and orange tones that were used in Watchmen. And then when he's with the DC characters, he's using more of a blue and uh, gray and kind of a more desaturated kind of color scheme that he would that he normally uses. But when he does the Watchmen characters in Doomsday Clock, he does those oranges, and it's it's sub it's subtle, but you you I think subconsciously you pick up on it. And you're reminded of, oh yeah, that's how Watchmen was colored, you know. And so we're kind of doing the same here and there with some of the color choices, going back to the original Killing Joke, uh, and also the reissue that that uh, uh, Brian Bowen recolored there, because uh, I really like that version. I actually like that version better than the crazy neon colors in the original. But uh, but yeah, it's it's fun to do that and. That's just me being a fanboy and kind of nerding out over this stuff. And Jeff loves that. Like when I tell him, like, oh yeah, like, do you notice this? And then he looks at it and goes, no, no way. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he, he's like, oh, that's so awesome. You know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun to do that. I mean, even like, let's even talk about like the covers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to reference that. Uh, I think it's the cover for issue three. Uh, that might be one of the Batman number one things that you were uh, referencing because that's the same pose for Joker from Batman number one. Uh, the With issue a, two, issue two oh, has oh, the, the issue two cover. Okay. Golden Joker, yeah, and that really is like a that is like an homage to the first time you ever see the Joker, right? Um, but like even the way that we laid out the covers, I really wanted to invoke Killing Joke. Like you got this big face looking at Jeff, right? Like, it just, like, Jeff was the one who said, let's just pretty much do the cover of Killing Joke. And I was like, well, you think that that's a little, not, it's not really that subtle. He's like, no, it'll be so awesome because people have seen that cover for so many years and, and it's just, it's ingrained in their subconscious that, you know, that when they walk into a comic store and they look at the shelf and they see, you know, Three Jokers number one and this big joker staring at you with a crowbar uh you'll be like subconsciously triggered to remember killing joke and your and your brain will kind of connect the two and you'll go oh i need this thing like 
this is this feels like it's a sequel to Killing Joke. Visually. And and it and it is still such a sign of Brian Boland's style uh, to to link perfectly to that. There was a cover Brian had done just. I want to say in the last six months, there was a Joker one-shot issue that was written by John Carpenter, and Brian did uh, a variant cover for it, and it was very much that same thing, you know, just super close-up uh, shot of Joker was the entire cover. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, re- I wanted to evoke... Uh, I mean, I, I, drew these, uh, I drew these covers about three or four times each issue, uh, and uh but i really wanted to invoke that and i think when people see like we got a really cool logo for this book and even that winks at history the history of batman and it's it's going to be such a a beautiful package in the end when you pick this book up and we have ideas for like what's on the inside covers and like i don't know like i i love that kind of stuff i want this to feel special i want this book to feel like you're you're going to read something classic. You're going to read. I just want to evoke that feeling. Like, I miss that feeling of like, uh, picking up comics. I, I want you to feel, I want you to feel like this book is something special and something different. And, and, uh, the big Joker faces staring at you. And even the Batman cover, you know, the variant cover, uh, you know, just Batman just staring at you, you know, and he's got blood off all, all over his face. And it's like, it just, it's so, I, I know myself, if I walked into a comic store and I saw both of these covers, I'd probably have to buy both of them. Yeah. That's just who I am. And that I, that's how I kind of, I do that all the time. I, if I see if it's a book I really want and I like, I see both covers there, I'll buy both of them. And um, because I love the art and I love the collecting aspect of it. And I really and, want uh, to do that since seeing the way that uh, the covers look like the the covers are part of telling the story i've been uh sort of wondering what the other covers would be like like we've seen the a covers for all three issues and for issue one the b cover is batman like you mentioned so i've been wondering like what we would see for the b covers for two and three like would they be more batman covers or are they going to be like a, a Red Hood cover and a Batgirl cover or what, what we're going to see, you know, how this is going to fold in with telling the story? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I don't want to say, but I think yeah. you can, you know what those other two covers are going to be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing that there's three Jokers and we're having three, we have three lead characters. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and that's exciting too because, you know, all the covers are going to work really well together and and actually like you were saying like telling a story yeah like each each of these covers is something something that you're going to see in the issues so like i'm like the covers refer to different things that happen actually in the book that you'll you like like you won't know you won't know what the issue three cover is until you read the issue two, like like with the Joker looking through the peep, his eye, right? Like yeah. through, right? And it's like part of that is a is a link to the killing joke, right? Like the camera. But I didn't like we I didn't want to do a camera, right? Like you can't do a camera. Yeah, it's like, too on the nose. It's too on the nose. And then somebody said, Well let's do like a uh, 
iPhone. Like, because yeah. what would Joker use now? He would use an iPhone, you know. But uh, but then this whole thing kind of goes with a, a part of the story, and so uh, you know, and I'm kind of it'll be interesting to see how if people pick up on these these things as they read the book. But that's fun. It's fun to do stuff like that. You can't. You can't always do that with covers, but I really felt like that, and, and I felt like we could do that with this. And um, you know, it's it's it also I wanted to evoke just some classic things from like you know everybody knows that you know Jason Todd was beaten with a crowbar, you know, uh, so to have that image on the first cover kind of sets the tone. You know, it's just like yeah, this is. This book is serious, you know. Remember what happened, you know. Uh, get ready, like we're going, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna explore these things, and uh, we're gonna have, you know, we're gonna have some fun, you know, kind of thing. So, and it's uh, it's cool to see uh, the covers be a, a purposeful part of the story because we're so accustomed to covers just being a cool iconic image that has nothing to do with it like oh this cover is super cool it's batman on top of a gargoyle on top of a tombstone that doesn't happen in the issue but it looks very cool on the cover yeah um well because a lot of like the cover cover sells the issue right yeah and, uh, i think you know a lot of times dc just kind of says oh just give us a cool issue a cool image of batman you know that we can put on this cover or, the, or on this issue, or they'll kind of they'll kind of just tell you like a little kind of hint of what happens in that issue, but usually they don't even really know <laughs> because they're still yeah. working on it uh, <laughs> because they're working you know ahead. And so um, I, I look at some of the older covers where they would like you know show like a classic one. I forget what issue it is, but like the Justice League standing around a grave. You know, they're looking down at this empty grave. It's like, well, which character's going to die? You know, like that's an evocative cover. You're like, oh, crap, I, I need to pick this up, right? And so... Yeah, and, and things can always change so fast uh, between the time that covers are solicited for shops to do their ordering. Because, you know, shop, if anyone doesn't already know, shops order books two months before they come out. So the solicitations are out there. You know, you see the cover, uh, the, the variant cover. And it'll have a little bit about, you know, what is happening in the storyline. But uh, a lot of times that stuff can change between the time the solicitation uh, is put out there and the time that the book is uh, actually sent to print. Uh, the last time we had uh, Tom King and Clay Mann on here, they were talking about, you know, what their plans were for the end of Tom's Batman run, like after the, the City of Bane stuff wrapped up. The rest of that going up to you know, to up to Tom's last issue was at that time going to be the the end of the Batman Catwoman story, but we had them on you know spent two hours or something talking about all that, and we had no sooner released that episode that the word started coming out that oh Tom was coming off Batman sooner his his run was going to end you know at, at eighty five. And then the rest of the story that he and Clay were going to tell was going to happen in its own maxi series. So that stuff can change that quickly. Mm. Yeah. And uh, one of my going back to like, you know, the, the covers being integrated into the story, like 
I've always really loved how with the original Watchmen, the cover was almost like the first panel of the book. And uh, same with, they did that with Doomsday Clock too. Like there's one of the variant, one of the covers was like the first panel. So when you opened up the book, you're seeing kind of the continuation or that as the first panel of the issue. And then they did like a secondary variant, which was more, you know, Gary just doing like a really cool image, right? But uh, I, I like that kind of stuff. And uh, again, we we wanted we wanted these covers to be evocative of of Killing Joke. Um, this book isn't a sequel to Killing Joke, but in a lot of ways it kind of is like it's not a direct sequel but we kind of treated it as like a a spiritual a spiritual successor or a spirit uh, a spiritual sequel to killing joke in a way kind of how doomsday clock was that with Watchmen. it's like yeah. we're, we're kind of going our own direction but we are using a lot of the rules that Boland and alan moore laid out in killing joke especially with how they told the story. And so we're following a lot of that um, to kind of lead you down a path and to, and to really make you think about, about that, that book and how that could tie into this. And so, you know, uh, it's, it's, the, our thing is it's, it's three jokers is its own thing, but at the same time we wanted it to really feel like a sequel to some of those um, classic uh Batman stories of the past, you know. The th again, the three we've been bringing up is Killing Joke, um, uh, Death in the Family, and uh, really uh, Batman issue number one, 1940 Batman issue number one. And so those are kind of our three, I guess your three must reads, if you will. Yeah, um, so everybody get out and do a reread of those before uh, this comes out. You know what's I I re, like I went back and reread Batman issue number one in 1940. That's an awesome issue. Um, it's a really good like it's I still feel like yeah it looks a little dated and it, it's a I mean it's got a little bit of datedness to it, but you could take that story and and you could still read it today. You read it today and you could still enjoy that as a Batman story. It's uh, the Joker is creepy. I think he's more creepy in that story than he's ever been. Um, and again, that's something that we brought into our story, like the the the, the golden age Joker, as we've been calling him, the you know the one who's more who links back to Batman number one. He's he's less of a of a psychotic clown, and he's more of a a thinker. He's more of a sophisticated thinker. You know, you, you you can't tell what he's what he's thinking. You can't like he just stares at you with these eyes and he doesn't he hardly smiles, right? Like like it's such a it's a, a very different version of the Joker than we've seen. And to me, he's like the most exciting in the whole the whole series. Like he's just he's very different. And uh it's a different take on the Joker. In a lot of ways it reminds me of uh, the Jack Nicholson Joker in a lot of ways, he kind of had that. Uh, he kind of had that feeling to him as well in that movie. But uh, you know, it's a, it's a different take, and I think it, it gives it. It's going to give the book a really interesting Joker that people I think are going to they haven't really read because they haven't read that. Not too many people have read that classic issue. 
Well, so we we have a, a bit of time before the series starts, but now we know exactly what we need to uh, to revisit and reread to to prepare and get the best experience out of this. Uh, we could keep you here talking about this forever, but we've already taken you over time. <laughs> uh, now we've already done, uh, I'm sure, the lightning round with you before, so I'm just going to do one question here. So the previous guest we had on, we have this tradition where a guest leaves a question for the next guest. So we spoke last with Steve Orlando, and I'm sending you a photo here that he sent to me. So this is a character called the Vagabond Prince. Okay. <laughs> uh, so he was a character created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. So he was, uh, his name was Ned Oaks. Uh, by day, he was a greeting card writer. And by night, he was uh, a costume crime fighter named the Vagabond Prince. And Steve's question was, who would be the, the Vagabond Prince had a couple uh, different sidekicks, but Steve asked, what would be the sidekick you created for this Vagabond Prince who I just sent you the photo of? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a tough one, man. Oh, man. I don't know. See, this is where I, this is where Jeff Johns would come in. And he, yeah. would, he would have a great answer uh, for this guy. I, you know, seeing that he was a, uh, seeing that he was like a card uh, makes greeting cards. Uh, you know, maybe his buddy would be uh, Hallmark the the card boy or something. Like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, is this a, is this character? Is he a a Batman character? No, uh, he was, let me see, I had the info here. He was uh, originally a a Harvey character. Uh, Harvey was the publisher who was originally making him. And now he's, uh, I think he's just a public domain now. Uh, that's interesting. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a Jack Kirby and Joe Simon creation. And I don't know if uh, you're seeing the picture that I sent over. Yeah, I just sent it do. Messenger. This and, guy uh, looks like, he looks like he would have lived like this crazy flashy lifestyle. And like they would have made a doctor documentary about how he like killed like eight people and dug them up in their backyard that's what this guy looks like <laughs> yeah I can see and that. uh <laughs> when we were talking with steve it was agreed that you would get bonus points if you decided to do a sketch of this this sidekick uh and uh that we would show to steve and he, could, he could sort of uh, grade it <laughs> if i only had time <laughs> You want two jokers out already? Yeah, I like how Steve's throws a whole wrench in my uh, in my schedule, but uh, I don't know if I have time to do anything like that. But that's a it's an that's a very interesting. Like, I, yeah, I've never heard of this character. But you know what? Like, I'm I'm kind of a comic book dummy. Like, I really I really don't know too much beyond mostly just the mainstream stuff and stuff that I've either watched in documentaries or, you know, a comic documentary. Like, like Jeff, when you talk to Jeff Johns, like he's read every comic ever, like literally, like, like, you know, he'll, he'll bring up like, Oh yeah, well, like there's this character from this book 
from blah 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 1952 that only appeared in this one issue and you know let's let's put this character in this book or let's write a whole mini series about this character it's like i've never even heard of this stuff like you know nobody else has either jeff like <laughs> but uh he he loves like that he loves his comics and he loves his characters and he has such a an enthusiasm for it and uh some of that's rubbed off on me as time time has gone by like i like when we were doing dark side war i sat i never sat down to really read uh any of the jack kirby fourth world stuff right and so i sat down i started reading it and it was so wacky but it was very enjoyable and i really liked it and um um you know he he you know, would point me towards different books to check out. And, and uh, even now, like we're, we're already starting to do some research for our next project. It's like, here, let's check out this. What do you think about this? If you find anything, send me, send me, send this over to me. And so I've been sending in different things over. And uh, what about this and that? And, and uh, you know, he just loves it. He'll tell you, he'll like call you back and be like, yeah, I just read like four issues of that. It's like, well, I just told you to read the first one. <laughs> no, but I needed to read the next the next three because I needed to know what happened. You know, so uh, yeah, yeah, you you've told me before about how driven Jeff is. Like uh, you described uh, how you would get a text from Jeff at eight a.m. while he's on his way to the gym about some idea that he had for what you're working on, and eight a.m. for us is five a.m. for him in California, and yeah. he's at five a.m. He's already excited texting you ideas. And if it, if I'm not like the funniest thing is like he knows I might be still in bed at like seven o'clock in the morning, but he keeps just saying like, "Hey, you up?" You know, like you know, or you know, sometimes he'll call me and I'm like, "What time is it? Like, what time is it there? Like, what? What do you like?" He's like, "I have to. I have to call. Like, I had to get. The, it's like he has to when he when an idea or something pops in the head, he has to talk to you. He gets so excited about it and." uh I love that. It just, it rubs off on you. And as a creator, it makes you that much more invested in the story and and in the world and what he's trying to set up. Um, It's, and it's something that it's something, it's, it's something that no other writer I've ever worked with even does. Um, You know, when I've worked on different, with different writers, they've been great. But they don't call you. They don't talk to you. They, they just send you a script and maybe an email here and there, and maybe a little bit of a, a text every once in a while. But Jeff will call you and he'll be like, like he'll send me the script and then he'll call me five minutes after. He's like, "Did you check it out?" I'm like, "Buddy, it's like this is a 48 page script. I got, it's gonna take me like it's gonna take me like two hours to read this thing." But he's calling me five minutes after. He said it. Like, yeah, okay. but but did you like it though? <laughs> yeah, like, it's like I've read the first page. Like, what, what did you think of the end? <laughs> yeah, so so but he's give just it to me so, straight. Yeah, he just gets so excited about it, and uh, that rubs off on you. And just talking it over, we like um, I've mentioned this on Twitter. Like we had we had our book, we had it all plotted out. We knew exactly what was going to happen right to the end. And then one day we were just, this was a couple of months back. One day we were having a conversation. We were angry about something that was going on with our book in DC. And, you know, there was a, there was a little bit of a, a dispute over some stuff. And we were just so angry. And then all of a sudden 
I just blurted out an idea and he stopped and I didn't hear him. And I was just like, Jeff, Jeff, are you, are you still there? And he's like, wait a minute. Thank you. <laughs> you know? And then, <laughs> and then he just comes back and he's like, he, he, we made the ending of this book even better. And it just, the ending went from a 10 to a 20. It was just like we cranked up the knob, you know? And, uh, you know, so he was just so, he was just so jacked up about this and went back and rewrote that script, like rewrote the whole ending of it in like 10 minutes, you know? And uh, we wouldn't, have, that wouldn't have happened if we weren't communicating. Like we would have just stuck with the ending that we originally had. And it was, it's still an, it, it's still in there. It's still an awesome ending. But we added an extra piece to it, and it's just gonna, it just takes everything up so much better, makes it so, it's gonna freak people out. It's so good. And that's something that wouldn't have happened if we didn't communicate. I mean, he called, like, he calls me almost, when we're working on something, he'll call me almost every day, at least once, even if it's just like five minutes. Like, he wants to just, he likes that interaction and he likes to, get just keep you focused and fired up and and he throws out little things like yeah this would be kind of neat to show in this sequence like why don't you put this in the background or whatever you know um or he's pitching you ideas for something else down the road and and or we're just or the other day we just talked about just about life in general and what was going on and, and so that connection is something once you once i found that i was just like i don't want to work with anybody else this guy like He's able to elevate my work because of this, and we have such a great relationship. You know? It's it's great to hear when a book like this or any book really is a collaborative effort between the the creators. So I know there are, there are writers out there who don't even want to hear, don't care to hear thoughts or suggestions from from their illustrator. So it, it's cool when uh, when there's collaboration like this yeah i i i so i strongly disagree with like i would strongly disagree with any writer who wouldn't want to collab like i'll never do that again like yeah i i know i know i know you had the experience before yeah right now i will i i swear i will never i will never work on another comic book ever uh where i don't have a say in the story and, and like like i should post the picture sometimes i'll post them sometime soon maybe right before the book comes out but i went down to like you know two years ago around this time i went down to la and we went in jeff's office and we sat there for the whole day and we just wrote out the whole story on a whiteboard and he only had we only had the beginning and the end it's like Let's, you know, let's hear some ideas. And so, like, I would, you know, we'd be tossing out ideas and, and the, this whole thing just, like, the whole story just formed and we moved bits and pieces around. We took pieces out. But the best thing about Jeff is just the fact that he wants, he listens to you. Like, when, when I say, like, hey, wouldn't this be cool if this happened? Or, or I was thinking about this. Or, or, or even, I even can go to him and say, this has happened a couple of times. I've gone to him and said, you know what? I'm drawing this page right now, and I just don't think that this works. 
I don't think that this scene works. Um, I think we need something different. And a lot of writers, if you said that to them, they would take offense to that. You know, they would, they would, how dare you question what I wrote in that script? Jeff goes, all right, I'll, I'll change it. What do you think would work better? Okay, well, I think maybe something like this would work. And then he'll go, well, what if we did this? And then, and then it changes. And, and then he, and then he'll sometimes, he'll say to you after, we're like, you know what? Like, that's a really good change. Like, you needed that. And, and I'm, I really appreciate that you, you said something. And I think a lot of the, I think a lot of this comes from his work in Hollywood where he's writing stuff collaboratively with writers. Like he just, he's doing the star girl show and mm-hmm. he's going to be coming out sometime soon here. But um, you know, he, he said like one of the toughest parts of that job was that he was like the lead writer, but he had a whole writer's room of people who were helping writing these episodes. And he had to make sure that everybody was on the right track. And he said that he really appreciated people who were fired up and came up with these really good ideas and tossed out good ideas. And I think he, I also think Jeff is humble. Um, And you have, I believe, I believe very strongly that in life, humility will, is so very important. And I try to practice humility as much as I can. You know, when somebody says something about, when the editor says you need to change this about your art, I try not to argue uh, because I want you know, an extra eye looking at things and, and helping me become better. And Jeff is humble too. You can tap, you can say to him, Hey, I don't know if this is working or I don't I think we need something a little more here. And he will take that to heart. And I've never had him once get angry or say, no, that's, this is how it has to be. Or if he really believes it's how it has to be, he'll explain why. And when usually when he explains it, you go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see that. And it's just the, if, if all comic teams worked this way, I think you would have so much better comics than what we have. Um, sadly, I think a lot of this gets thrown by the wayside when you're doing bi-weekly comics or weekly comics like they've done in the past because you can't, as an artist, you're pretty much, like this is why I didn't want to do bi-weekly comics. This is why I will never do a bi-weekly comic. It's because you're a, just simply a cog in the wheel. You're thrown into it. They say, here's your script because I wrote these uh, three months ago and everything that's in it is being affected in the scripts I'm writing now, which come after your uh, reissue arc or whatever. And you can't make a change. Um, there are things in, that's, I, didn't, I didn't really enjoy working on Batman Eternal too much because I couldn't make any changes. I didn't, I didn't like certain sequences and I thought I wanted to add I want different stuff to happen. This I don't want to draw this. This is boring. Whatever. And I couldn't. I couldn't. Nothing could change because everything was already set in stone because they everything relied on that. And so you had no say in it. And uh, you know, a biweekly book, like maybe you'd have a little bit of say if you could get in there, but and, and talk with the writers. But a lot of it is just tossed to you, and here you go. And if you don't like it, you know, too bad. And, and yeah, to be know. handcuffed, to be handcuffed like that, and know that you aren't as happy with the work you're putting out as you could be, uh, can't can't be as enjoyable an experience. No, and I think the I think the readers can sense when a writer and an artist are gelling and they're clicking together. It's like it's like when you're watching a band 
and everybody's just feeding off each other. Like you can just see that you just see the energy and you see the love and, and of, of the craft coming forth. And and uh, it's, you know, you know, so you can't always do such collaboration. I get it. Like sometimes with monthlies, you can't. But whenever you if you can, it just it just elevates just elevates making the comic so much higher you as an artist a lot of times as an artist you feel like i said you feel like a cog in the wheel you feel like you feel like they could cut you out tomorrow and it wouldn't and you could be replaced and and they could just simply do that like like you, you really aren't bringing much to the game except for your artwork and I realized that, like, you know, the art, yeah, the artwork means a lot in a visual medium. But uh, I feel like a lot of times as an artist, that's how you feel when you join on a project. Uh, the Jeff Johns books that I've done, he's always included me. And the books that I did at the Swamp Thing book, uh, Tom, in fact, I, I shot out the idea kind of my basic idea of this the story plot that he took it and he ran with it and he changed it up and made it better but uh but he listened to me and then he collaborated and sometimes in that book he said i want to make this a splash page instead or i want to let's add more panels to this or whatever and he listened to me and that was a collaborative um project as well and then look what happened and yeah and it, you you can see the so result well. yeah. you know yeah you can see what's the result and so um it's a, it's a secret, and Jeff believes in it so much. Like he believes a comic book is fifty fifty. Like he just he believes in that. And he says, "You make me look good, I make you look good," and we we ju- we work off of each other. And um, if you know, it's it's it is the secret of making great comics. And if more writers and artists would work that way, I think the, the books that we're coming out would be that much more better, that much more exciting. But it's like people are. I don't know it's just we live in an age where people don't want to take the time to call each other and talk things over. But uh, Jeff, and, and there, there's a reason why Jeff's stuff is so uh, vital to the mythos of the characters that he's worked on. Mm-hmm. And I like I, I work in a comic shop, and if someone comes in and says I I want to read uh, some Green Lantern comics, where, where should I start? Have you read any Green Lantern before? No then start with Jeff John's run because nothing else matters until you'll, until you've read Jeff John's run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I, I really love working with him and uh, he makes me feel uh, like I am a 50, 50 creator in, in the book. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that's something that's special. And uh, I, I think that people can sense that when they see the book. They see that there's a collaboration there. And, um, you know, an equal, you know, we kind of have an equal, I mean, he's, he, uh, I refer to him on a lot of things. He's very wise and he knows, he knows his comics. He knows his comics better than me. He knows, he's even a great artist and he just knows how to, uh, he knows how to tell a story visually and his, his work, I think in film has also uh, taught him how to approach comics a little differently and not not waste space and not waste time. Um, that's something that we've really talked about with this with this book is that 
always we want to always keep moving. If we have scenes where characters are talking, we want them to be doing something while they're talking, either driving or you know uh, interacting or moving through a sequence or a scene or walking or you know uh, you know we don't want to just have them just standing there talking to each other. That's that's boring. You, know, you learn that from film. Like you want to keep people moving. You want to keep them interacting and moving. It's a visual medium, right? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I could sing, I could sing his praises forever. I, I, I really enjoy working with him and uh, hopefully he'll be more to come after this. I can see that not wasting a time idea just in the preview pages of the first issue of Three Jokers here. Most of these pages, most of these panels are pretty iconic images. You know, you have the images of Batman leaning against the the Batmobile to hold himself up. You have the the empty cowl after it's been taken off him lying on lying on a metal tabletop with blood all over it. You have Alfred pulling off the the suit after cutting it. And all these are all powerful images. Mm-hmm. Just in the previews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny, like that page there, the third page, I redid that one like maybe six months ago. <laughs> you know, like, so the first two pages I did like two years ago. And then that page I redrew, you know, uh, six months ago, maybe. Uh, is, is the time, <laughs> is the timeline that you did them on uh, anything to do with the difference? Because page one is a nine panel grid. Page two is an eight panel, and then page three is a six panel. Um, no, page six was or page three was always uh, was always a six panel page, and then well, you'll you'll see even like we kind of flow into a six panel thing, which is the six panel grid like that is all throughout Killing Joke. Like he uses a lot of the six panels, and. Uh, Brian Bowen does when he's let, like when he goes into a um, couple sections there and so again like the, the opening of Killing Joke is a nine panel page so that's why we did that and then um, and then we go into some six panel grids and we kind of bounce back and forth between those the six panel grids are really nice too uh, you're, well you'll see you'll see like there's a reason why we use them um, uh, as well there's like a, a definitive reason it all lays out really nice in the sequence coming up after this but um, I mean these are all things that like I mean these are things that Jeff thinks about like when when he's when he's writing it like he he I, I almost wonder if he sits there and like on a piece of paper like scrawls out like a little layout or something to kind of see like how it would all break down because he he just has such a great visual sense he knows like when like Okay, we need to use a six-panel grid here, and, the, and there was a reason for it, yeah, uh, visually to guide the reader's eye, you know. And then there's a reason why you want to use a nine-panel grid. And then there's times when we we use uh, there's times when we're using like uh, you know, uh, three-panel widescreen and stuff like that too. Uh, but but everything has its reason. And a lot of it's, you know, a lot of it is pacing too. Like you, you want to speed up. You want the reader to like slow down, and then you want them to speed up, and then you want them to slow down again. You know, but there's some, there's cool reasons for why you would do that. And 
why you use these like, different panels and different um, um, layouts, um, you know. Uh, but it, but everything is using everything uses the real estate that we have on each page to its fullest potential, to its for its maximum potential, and that's something that a lot of times I think it's like. You know when you you can tell when an artist is rushing through a book because it'll he'll let, like because usually okay so in this book Jeff in the script Jeff literally says every single page he says panel one of a nine panel grid here's this panel two in the position of panel two on a nine panel grid here's this in the position of panel three on a nine panel grid this on the positions of panel four and five on a nine panel grid panel four you know like like he he actually tells me he's actually breaking down every single page like this is how i want you to to draw this this is i want this panel a little bit bigger but i want you to still keep this structure you can tell when like on the normal script that you're doing on a monthly the, the art writer just like says panel one batman fights panel two batman fights panel three close up panel four Batman fights, panel five, close up, right? And I know myself, whenever I was running behind time, I would make sure that that close up of the face was really giant so that it takes up a lot of space on the page so that you don't have to draw such a big panel for all the other panels so that mm -hmm. they go quicker, right? Like, but with this, you don't have that option. Every panel on an eye panel grid is the same real, the same real estate. So if you're going to do a close-up, you do a close-up, but it's going to take you equally as long to do that close-up, or it's probably going to take you longer to do all the other panels because you got to maybe if they're farther back, you got to draw background and everything. Like there's no, you can't really cheat too much with a nine-panel grid, and uh, and you know Jeff uses each he, he's we're we're using every bit of real estate on that page to make sure that we're getting you the story to its maximum potential and that's something that is so uh, as an artist it just feels so good like you don't feel like you're like it doesn't feel like there's any wasted panel in the entire book like that like like that's how it feels I, it, it, it just as an artist and as a storyteller it just it makes you feel so proud of the work it makes you feel like you really you're really telling something great like you're really going to spell out the story and you're going to guide this audience through an emotional journey and through through beats and and um, it, like we had said before it's going to feel cinematic right and um again it different kind of storytelling there's nothing wrong with, with the other kinds of storytelling too they all have their places but uh, uh, yeah again it's a it's i've probably drawn i i i, did, I haven't counted yet but I would guess I've probably drawn over 1,000 panels for this page. Like, you know, I'll have to go through and count them all when the book is done, but I wouldn't be surprised. That's a ton of work. <laughs> That's a ton yeah. of work. Uh, yeah, so when people question why did this thing take so long, well, I hope people will see it. I hope they don't read it and go, why did this thing take so long? It looks like garbage, you know. <laughs> Maybe they will, but yeah, you know, hopefully not. Mm. Uh, for just just the pages that we see so far, uh, you and Brad are uh, a perfect combination. Uh, I don't see anyone not enjoying what they see in this. Well, I, I I appreciate that. I, I'm I'm proud of it, so I think I think people will dig it. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Especially when well, they read the ending of issue one. Oh, man. <laughs> well, we're super excited for it. Uh, we have dragged you so far over time here. <clears throat> exactly but... one hour longer than you said. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's fine. You kind of get Literally hard. on the minute. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we will let you get out of here and get back to you know, what semblance of normal life there is right now. But again, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And we can't wait to get a hold of issue one. And uh, some, you know, like you said, at some point after that, we'll, we'll pick your brain about some of the finer points of issue one uh, a couple weeks after it comes out. Yeah, yeah for sure. <clears throat> we'll, we'll uh, once issue one comes out, we'll set a date. Like I said, maybe we'll, maybe it'd be fun to do it like the week, you know, the week before or something issue two comes out. So we can kind of let people read it, you know, kind of get, um, kind of digest it. And then yeah. we, can, uh, we can, we can kind of go through it and, yeah. and then we'll do it. And then, then we can do a mate, like when the third issue comes out, we can do a major spoiler cast and almost go to everything. Right. Yeah. Like, because uh, I would love to, I would love to kind of, you know, I'm sure you guys will have questions and you'll, you know, uh, and and I hopefully I'll be able to answer most of the questions. But Jeff, Jeff is Jeff thinks about this stuff deeper from a storytelling level than I do. I kind of just look at it from the, uh, the artistic point of view. But um, I think uh, uh, you know, I I think it'll be fun to kind of go through it. And, yeah. With uh, a fine tooth comb, and you guys can yell at me for things. And <laughs> yeah. Question be, why this happened, did that happen? <laughs> it'll, be like the, it'll be like the commentary track to the director's cut of the DVD. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, we're we're going to try to drag Jeff on here eventually, too, and uh, then we can hear uh, all of the nice things he'll say about working with you. Oh, well, that'd, that'd be fun. Yeah. I'll, uh, you know, hopefully. He's, even 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 though he's quarantined, he's still super busy writing like yeah. twenty different things all at once. So uh, you know, hopefully, he'll, hopefully maybe I maybe we can both get on at some point uh, uh, together and, and do uh, one of these interviews. Yeah, that's you know. that that's the way to do it. It it is uh, I can say from experience, it is super fun uh, getting to do a deep dive on an issue or on a, you know a, a full story with. Uh, two of the collaborators together. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it'd be uh, it'd be really fun. I've been actually I've been toying with the idea um, of wanting to do something like that, like little commentary videos for like YouTube or something, and like maybe go through. Like, I'd like to go through that Swamp Thing Winter Special, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that'll be something that maybe we could team up and you know we could kind of uh, you know we could we could do it kind of together to like a video format. I'll have to yeah, talk some more about that. And, uh, yeah, for sure. Sometimes it, it would be nice to have somebody who's kind of looking at it from the view the the reader's perspective and then can ask questions, you yeah. know, about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that would, I think. I think people people like that stuff. Like they, I I enjoy listening to commentary tracks on movies. So why oh, why, yeah. why can't you do that with a comic book? I mean, it's yeah. Why why, why isn't why isn't there more of that? 
You yeah, think? I've I've watched commentary on so many movies. Yeah, you know, people. Think I just. That, yeah, I was gonna say you you think DC would uh, like to make some money? Ah. Should like record those and then even like sell them for like yeah. a buck or something. Here's the here's an hour long commentary track on this book, and like you, you imagine like imagine how cool it would be to like have a commentary track with like Brian Boland on Killing Joke. You know, going panel by panel, like I would, I would pay, I'd pay ten bucks for that. Yeah, I'd pay yeah. twenty bucks. Like, I, like that. That's a cool idea. Like, uh, so I don't know. I, I, I would like to explore that maybe doing it for YouTube and they kind of show the pages and talk about them. I don't know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we can yeah, talk no, about that later. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great point. There's um. There's this uh, black metal band called Dark Throne from uh, Norway, and uh, they have re-released a bunch of their early albums, and they released the regular version of it. And then there's a, a commentary CD that's literally the, the album played with commentary over the music of the drummer, guitarist, and vocalist just commenting on, oh, this is where I got that riff. This is where I got... And it's literally... It's, I listen to that almost as much as the regular one. Yeah. And it's... For nerds, it's like we love this stuff. We love to hear where the inspiration comes from, all all the nods, what you were thinking, you know, what what you're putting into the work. It's amazing. Yeah, that's that's a cool idea. Like uh, one of my favorite bands is Dream Theater. Oh yeah. On their DVDs, like their live DVDs, some of them have a commentary where they're talking about the music and they talk about how you know they recorded different things and how they wrote things and all. Oh, this is a this part of the song is a. Um, kind of like a, a wink wink to this Metallica song or Rush yeah. or whatever and so yeah like it's, some, it's something to think about it would be something to maybe explore in the future uh, it could be kind of it'd be really fun to, to kind of do that and, and do that with different comics I, I want to do them with some of my com- comics that I'm proud of kind of yeah. just go through them so yeah you mentioned have you kept up with Dream Theater since uh, Mike Portnoy left yeah, I have. I, wow. I, I actually just I actually went and saw them on their last tour. Though so I'm not as big of a fan of their music without Mike Portnoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still I like it, but I to me a lot of it has become kind of hit miss. I followed Portnoy like I listen to everything he's worked on since he's left. So. Oh yeah, like Winery yeah. Dogs and all that. Yeah, like I, I like that, and like Neil Morrison and Transatlantic, and he's uh, in like thirty thousand bands. Flying what's colors. the, what's the band that he's doing with Tony McAlpine? Which one is that? Oh, uh, yeah, I can't remember. Uh, he's got like, yeah, that dude's... like so many bands. Yeah, he's yeah. got like thirteen. Tony McAlpine is a nut job on the guitar, though. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. He's really, really. But uh, yeah, I, I, I. I uh, I listen to a lot. Of, I I I like that. I like him a lot. I like Mike Mike Portnoy. I've always I've always liked He just didn't he just announce another band? Yes, I forget what it was called, but yeah, he, it's like a but it's like a cover band. Like they're doing like metal covers of like unmetal songs or something uh, like that. Okay. And it's something it's something a little different. Or or they picked song. It's like something like best best metal songs from the seventies, and they kind of. Redone them. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. It's uh, Bobby Blitz from Overkill, uh, Phil Demel. Oh my God, 
<laughs> I, I, I bet he's the type of guy to call his bandmates at 5 a.m. and say, hey, I have an idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he is. <laughs> he is, so, yeah, he's got, he's, yeah, we got that probably in common, but, uh, no, yeah, it's, uh, I love that kind of stuff. Cool. Thanks so much, Jay, man. We really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. We'll, we'll definitely do it again. Hopefully, hopefully, like we were saying, hopefully everything kind of uh, clears up here in the next couple uh, weeks or months and, and we can get back to uh, retail. I know for sure that we, you know, we don't want the book coming out digital first. I don't know if they've changed their plans on that. I haven't paid too much attention. But we want to make sure that this book comes out as a uh, physical book because that's that's part of the experience of it, and uh, we really want we really want to support the stores and make sure that people are heading out to the stores. And hopefully, we'll have some cool sort of news about some of our plans, um, you know, coming up. DC is really since we since we kind of. Um, since we kind of are nearing the end now, getting close to the end, and we have a release date, DC's really stepped up like their excitement, and I, I, they really are. They want to pour a lot into this, but I think also a lot of that just depends on how things go um, with all the coronavirus stuff. And um, and just here's another little thing that people don't know: we originally. We originally wanted the book to come out April 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, again, it's like all, I believe everything happens for a reason. Just couldn't, couldn't talk them into putting out issue one on April 1st. Just don't know what it was. And it was just like, they just couldn't get them to go for that. And then now looking back on it, it was, being moved to June, we still don't know. Maybe it'll be delayed even further, but it would have really thrown a wrench into this thing. Like, I, you know, and I mean, they probably would have just delayed it, but it, you know, we just, we didn't know what was going to, we didn't know all this stuff was going to come up, right? And uh, it just feels like, you know, if this thing comes out in June and things are kind of back going in June, it might be, it might feel like it's the, the right time to release it then and kind of hopefully give them a good shot, a shot in the arm to the, to the comic book, you know, to the, for the retailers and hopefully drive, really drive a lot of people back to the shops. That, that's what we want to see. And we wrote this, this book is, we wrote this book as a love letter to Batman and, and to the fans. I believe hundred percent that fans deserve the best comics. And personally, I don't, no, I don't feel like they've really been getting the best comics out of creators over the last few years, but um, that's a topic for another time. But uh, I, I really feel like I really feel like that this is our uh, love letter in a lot of ways to the fans as well for their support and for what you know for their love of comics. And so hopefully. Hopefully all this stuff will pass by fairly soon and, and um, we can get back to our, get back to the hobby that we love and get back to these characters that we love and, um, and support, support the stores and, and support the companies that we, we love as well. And um, looking, 
forward to that. And I think uh, I think fans are gonna I think fans are gonna really pour out their support to the comic stores once everything reopens. I really do. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm sure the the community always comes out. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we uh, put a pin in it there. Awesome. Well, thank you again. We've said it five times, but <laughs> so much appreciation for you taking this time to do it. And uh, we will chat with you again soon. And uh, we're going to make sure that nobody misses this book. Awesome. Thanks, guys. And we'll uh, we'll we'll get together after issue one comes out. Uh, when you're reading it, write down all your questions and all your hate mail and everything and then we'll be able to discuss it no i keep i keep talking like as if we're we're, we're really gonna you know anger people i don't i i don't think so i think you're gonna read the read these books and be jacked out of your mind it's gonna be like yes like i, I this just feels feels so good so classic you know i really like there's so many great moments in these books i, I really think people are gonna love them and uh you know i'm looking forward to the reaction awesome man all right looking forward to it (laughs) all right guys have a good night man you You too man yeah you too i'll see you guys uh talk soon yeah stay safe Bye. bye